This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Good morning, everybody. Lovely to have you with us at church. Big shout out to all those who are joining us online uh, as well. I would love to start with a story. It's a Bible story. It comes from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25. Uh, and back in the day, uh, David, King David, this is with his mighty men, his little band of followers, um, they were out and about. This is before he became king, and this was right after the death uh, of Saul. Uh, but they're still wandering around the Israel wilderness. Uh, no place kind of to call their own, uh, no authority or no position that's recognized. Um, and these guys are doing the best they can to, to honor um, what has been before and to not disrupt and uh, to serve uh, the nation. And well, they're young guys and they're hungry. And so they're out in the desert and they see someone who is very wealthy uh, and it comes to shearing time. So a whole bunch of extra helpers uh, would have turned up at this person's property to help shear the sheep and, and he would have provided food and it was kind of coming to a festival, think kind of like, you know, it's almost like our Christmas time. And so David, very reasonably perhaps, big ask, but reasonably, sends some envoys from his people to say, hey, is there any chance you could hook us up with a favor? Bit of that Jewish hospitality. Can you feed us? Can you feed me and my men? Does that sound reasonable? It's a big ask, maybe a little presumptuous ask but not outrageously unfair. And so these envoys, they go and they speak to a guy by the name of Nabal, who basically just says, no way, you've got to be kidding yourselves. Who are you? Who are your men? And you can imagine he's worked hard to build up the wealth and to build up the flocks that he's acquired. He sees this you know, group of militant young Israelites around his property. And although they haven't caused him any trouble yet, I mean, you'd always be living with the kind of threat of their presence hanging around your place, wouldn't you? And so he just says, absolutely not. Oh, we learn in the chapter that David's there with about 600 men. So can you imagine the financial cost of feeding at a festival time 600 young fighting being in the desert blokes? All right? It had bankrupt you and I. <laughs> and so he sends this message back saying, no way, who are you? I don't even recognize you. I don't even know where you're coming from. He's super rude about it. And all of a sudden, this conflict starts to escalate. Uh, that is referred back to David. David hears this, and this is um, his response. Each of you, strap on your sword. Whew. That went from zero to 100 pretty quickly, didn't it? <laughs> Rude, sullen, you're not going to show me hospitality. You're not going to be part of the people of God. This is an outrage. Don't you dare dishonor uh, me, the Lord's anointed. Come on, guys, strap on your swords. It's go time. This fight is on. And so David is marching there full of anger, kind of this really crazy outburst. Uh, he's, on, he's on the way there, and he says, May God deal with me ever so severely if I don't kill every male of Nabal's household. So he's not just angry. This is not just a show of arms. This is bloodthirsty intent. Uh, now, now, to this point, David's been in all manner of conflicts, but they've been honorable. They've been appropriate. This is just outrageous, murderous intent. And then the picture swings back to Nabal. So Nabal's been rude. He says, there's no way I'm recognizing you or your kingship or your position. There's no way I'm feeding your men. So do you know what he does for himself then? He throws himself a banquet. 
throws himself a banquet. How selfish is that? To add insult to injury, not only is he not going to help David and his men, but he's going to use his excess to spend on himself. And so this whole kind of conflict is shaping up to end very, very poorly uh, until a uh, beautiful and intelligent and prophetic woman by the name of Abigail steps in to smooth things over and the crisis is averted. People... People, hey? People. What is wrong with us? How do we get things so wrong? How do we escalate conflict so readily and so quickly? How can we go from zero to a hundred, from a pleasant conversation to our blood boiling to selfish intent? We are a mixed bag, aren't we? And so this morning I want to talk about how we navigate conflict as those who claim the name of Jesus. And one of the things I love about this book is that it's not a rose-coloured, glasses, highly photoshopped, carefully curated history of our human race. But it's real, and it's raw, and it's honest and authentic in the way it talks about and records human character and behaviour. From the opening pages of our scriptures, we see conflict being present. In the first couple, in the first couple's children, uh, we see conflict in people struggling and fighting over a birthright. We see conflict between key leaders in the Old Testament uh, and in the New Testament. In fact, one of the first disagreements we read of in the book of Acts uh, is Peter and uh, Paul. And then the scriptures record they had such a sharp disagreement. That's the language, a sharp disagreement over John Mark's suitability to accompany them on a mission trip, that they actually had to part company for a while and go on separate mission trips. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty serious, right? Uh, we see it in the way that Eli is unable to work out conflict with his sons, the way that David, King David, is not only fiery and feisty here, but later completely uh, kind of limp and impotent to even deal with conflict in his own family. We see conflict between culture groups, particularly by the time of the New Testament, that idea between the Jews and the Samaritans, such deep-seated racism, effectively, between these two groups. We see conflict, it's not particularly obvious the first time you read it, but conflict between the Jewish religious leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, over differences of opinions around theology. We see that in the early church in Acts chapter 15 as well. And we see conflict bubble up and be present in churches particularly the church in Corinth, to the point where they've started suing each other, started taking each other to court. And I love what Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He just writes, I hear you, there are lawsuits among you. How dare you? Do you dare take your grievances before a pagan court, before you deal with them before the church family? The idea is that there is something about the way that we're called to fight as Christians, that is different, that is separate. And so my first point this morning, very encouragingly, is that conflict is a normal, to-be-expected part of life. Any disagreements on that one? (laughs) I will shout you a coffee for that, because that was quick and funny. (laughs) Of course, conflict is a normal, to-be-expected part of life. Uh, I find this to be so empowering, personally, and in a weird way, kind of encouraging. 
kind of encouraging to know that conflict is just a normal, to-be-expected part of life. Because it means that when I bump into conflict or when I experience conflict, I don't need to freak out. I don't need to worry like something has gone terribly wrong. I don't need to be embarrassed at the fact that we're having a difference of opinion about something or that someone's rubbed me up the wrong way or I've, I've said words that were misinterpreted. I don't need to freak out. I don't need to be anxious. I don't need to be worried. I don't need to be embarrassed because it's a normal, to-be-expected part of life. What's important then is how we respond to conflict how we work through our differences and our disagreements, the ways that people have hurt us or let us down, the way that we said that thing when we were tired and hungry that we shouldn't have said and now we've got to deal with the fallout. How do we respond? And I'll suggest that responding to conflict is a discipleship issue. It's a heart issue. It's part of our Christian life. It's to be part of our Christian distinctiveness, the thing that sets us apart, the things that identifies us as the followers of Jesus, the ways that we work through conflict with others. And that's Paul's point in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We don't do conflict like the world does. Our love for God and our experience of his mercy should overflow in the ways that we work through our differences and our disagreements. Possibly the famous sermon ever. Jesus said, blessed are the what? The peacemakers. Do the peacemakers never experience conflict? Are the peacemakers never in conflict? No, conflict is a normal, expected part of everyday life. But those who find themselves experiencing conflict, indifferences and disagreements, who respond and who work through that conflict in a way that brings about peace and restoration and reconciliation. Well, blessed are they. Blessed are they to the world. Blessed are they in their relationships. And they will be called the children, the children of God. You know, during the week I shared a survey asking some of you about your experiences and feelings towards conflict. Uh, and I had over 50 responses, which I have to say is a fairly significant sample size in a church our size. I think we'll see about 180 adults here over the course of today. So one in four, that's pretty representative, right? Uh, thank you for those who did participate in that. Uh, and I started by asking this question, how equipped do you feel to navigate an interpersonal conflict? And you guys said, pretty good pretty good. So a moderate amount, a lot, a great deal. Majority of our church, three quarters of them, feel that they are equipped in some way to actually handle a conflict. Uh, they kind of know what it is to actually work through a difference or a disagreement, or a hurt, or, or whatever it is that they need to work through. Uh, it's like we know what we're supposed to do. I think what that question is. When it comes to a conflict, we kind of know what we're supposed to do. We know some of the tools, some of the resources that we have to be able to work through our differences and our disagreements with somebody else. I thought that was encouraging. Uh, I don't know if that's a legacy from previous leaders or that's just uh, in your own experience, but that was very good. But then I asked a follow-up question. How does being in conflict with another person make you feel? And the vast majority said anxious and stressed. Anxious and stressed. Does that ring true? 
Well, one in four of you said it was true. <laughs> I know what it is to walk into a room where I know I'm going to see somebody that I am in unresolved conflict with. And I know what that feels like. Does anyone want to point on their body where they feel that? That's where I feel it, Shiv. That's where I feel it. A tightening of the chest. Like the blood pressure goes up. Like there's a sinking in the stomach sometimes as well. You put up the guard. You're hyper aware of where that person may be in that room. And you're preparing yourself for a potentially inevitable ongoing interaction around that conflict. Does that make sense? Mm. So we're equipped. We're resourced. We know what we should do in conflict. And yet when we find ourselves in conflict, we still don't like it. And it still affects our mental health and our emotional health. And I think then our ability to work through the conflict in a healthy manner. And I think that makes sense. Uh, for the scriptures declare in Ephesians chapter 4, which is what we sort of try and live out, that we're living a life worthy of the calling that we've received. We're trying to be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. We know that the instruction is to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, because there is one body, one Spirit, just as we were called to one hope when we were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. So as believers, we have this experience, this knowledge that we are so united together. And that when we experience conflict, disagreements, hurt, outrage from each other, and, it, and we have a sense of that unity being broken, I think it affects us maybe more than, than some others because we're not hard-hearted towards each other. We don't want to write each other off. We value living this out. And so when we experience conflict, I think our anxiety uh, rises. And so I'd love if I could reframe conflict this morning just a little bit. Uh, Johnny mentioned uh, an organisation called PeaceWise in the Bible studies this week. I've been a huge fan of PeaceWise as an organisation and their resources for Christians navigating conflict for about a decade uh, and a half. Uh, and they suggest this, that, that we actually want to see conflict as an opportunity, an opportunity to glorify God, an opportunity to serve other people, and an opportunity to grow to be like Christ. Instead of freaking out that something's wrong, instead of being so frozen to inaction, instead of allowing some of that, we'll call it our old selves, to get the better of us, to actually lean into the conflict, not to escalate it, but to actually look for the ways that God can be honoured and glorified and we can serve one another like Christ served the church uh, and we can actually grow to be like him in our conduct and our character. And while they, that may not make you excited for conflict, I think that's a much healthier and more empowering, a more Christian way to approach what it means to work through conflict. So, let's fight like a Christian. Three things I'd love to bring to you this morning. 
how to fight like a Christian. First, and I know this might sound cliche, but it is so important. We want to first go to God when we find ourselves in conflict, to go to God in prayer. There is a whole lot of verses throughout the scriptures that encourage us, to make us think through that all of life happens in relationship with God. Uh, And that needs to be our kind of default reaction to a whole bunch of things in our life, including when we find ourselves in conflict with others. So there's a few on the, the screen there just talking about that actually the way we conduct ourselves in conflict is to follow the example of Christ, uh, to have the same mindset as Christ, to be praying with and to Christ. Uh, I know in my life I've had, I don't have have conflicts, do I? No, no, it's for other people. I'm a pastor, goodness gracious. Uh, Okay, no, look, I have plenty of conflicts in my life. Uh, And I have to say that that when I actually stop and go to God in prayer, geez, that's a difference maker. It is such a difference maker in the way that I think and feel towards the other person that I'm in conflict with. And it's such a difference maker in the ways that I then conduct myself in relationship with that person. I've had examples where I've had so much anger and animosity towards somebody for, for whatever reason it was, and I spent a whole bunch of time praying, and basically the issue went away. because so I was filled with so much understanding and empathy and compassion for that person and what they were going through and felt the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit that I was being stubborn and pig-headed and I repented and asked for God's forgiveness and just went, you know what, this relationship is restored, move on. <laughs> God is powerful and he's mighty. And he's good. Is your default reaction to go first to God when you find yourself in conflict? Well, I did ask a question on that survey. What difference does your faith make in the way that you handle interpersonal conflict? So this is wisdom. Wisdom from our church family. In a few words, highlight what difference your faith makes in the way that you handle interpersonal conflict. I pray about the conflicted situation, asking God for help to find resolution. I always try to forgive others and love them how Jesus loves us. No matter what, Jesus loves that person, and so should I. Sometimes we've got to go to God before we remember that. Stops me belting somebody. There's an honest answer. (laughs) Hey, we've got some King David in us, don't we? But I like this. Helps me take time out to write things down, pray, and meditate over the situation, same answer. Prayer helps me work things through better. I struggle to forgive, but always trying to think, what would Jesus do? Prayer can help you answer those questions you have in your mind. I experience the peace of God in the midst of conflict. Talking to God helps put things into perspective. I spend time with God first and seek him on the best way to act and react. I think through how God asks me to deal with the conflict. I look to the Bible. What would Jesus do? I try to see people how Jesus see them. It helps me a lot, somebody else said. My identity is secure in Christ. Instead of following my natural tendency, another answer, to look after my number one and demand my rights, I try to follow God's way to humble myself sufficiently to care about the other person. Another answer, I seek God first. Another answer, God can help bring restoration. Another answer, I ask for guidance. Another answer, prayer always helps in all situations. Another answer, I try to remember Jesus' forgiveness for us, 
and that we should live the same. I try to focus on seeing people through Jesus' eyes. What a church family to belong to, hey? What difference does faith make in the ways that we navigate conflict? It makes all the difference if we start here. And many of you do. We know this, and so my encouragement is to do it. Always, regularly, how to fight like a Christian. Is there currently a conflict in your life that you are experiencing where you have missed this step? If so, I encourage you to circle back and go back to the point where we start by going to God. How to fight like a Christian. First, we go to God. Then, we start with ourselves. Can I demonstrate how I think the world fights? And perhaps what is our default when it comes to dealing with somebody in conflict? So there's somebody that's angered us, they've hurt us, maybe they've disappointed us, maybe they've let us down, maybe we just don't like the way that they think and what they're thinking we should do. And so when it comes to us working it out and working together in conflict, we think, well, we need to go to that person and we need to sort it out. But we come prepared, pre-armed, if you like. We go, you know what, I've been taking notes of all the things that you've done wrong and all the ways that I disagree with what you've done or said, and I'd like to put that on the table for us to have a discussion about. While there, I have compiled some evidence, if you like, uh, of the ways that you are wrong and why you are wrong and why I am indeed right. Uh, My way is, of course, the best way. And now that I think of it, I have actually got this document full of your other character flaws and possibly these are the reasons why you've done the thing that is wrong and why we're in the situation that we're in. Oh, this is my list of hurts, just how hurt I am by what you've done. And oh, there's something else. Oh, yes. Oh, here we go. Here's a few volumes just documenting past times that you have failed uh, and caused me offence. Um, I've, I've, I've contributed, obviously, to the conversation as well. So the conflict is between two people. So uh, let me just um, make sure I add my contribution. Um, I was tired. Yeah, yeah, there we go. All right, let's talk about it, shall we? (laughs) Have you met one of them? I hope you're not one of them. (laughs) We start with ourselves. As scary as that is, as confronting as that is, particularly if we're hurt or we're angered by what somebody else has done, I think this is the biblical model and the biblical method. Jesus, having said, blessed are the peacemakers, goes on to... Unpack that some more. I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anger is the measure. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in the dangers of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, who leaves the gift at the altar? The other person? The person that you're in conflict with? The person that's wronged you? The person that's disagreed with you? Who leaves the gift at the altar? You do. It starts with you. If you're there offering a gift of worship to the Lord and you recognise that there is unresolved conflict in your life, Jesus' instruction is you take initiative. You take the first step 
towards reconciliation and restoration. You start with yourself. Two chapters later, and I think this is kind of what I was getting at with this one. Jesus explains the leave a bit more, Matthew chapter 7. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I think the reality is this kind of building up of our case, building up and seeing the planks in other people's eyes could just as easily be spun this way, couldn't it? As we actually think about our lives. We're a bit more familiar with our wrongs, aren't we? So Jesus' instruction is to start with us. When it comes to conflict, we start with us. Many years ago, uh, in a galaxy far, far away, I was in a significant conflict. Uh, it wasn't necessarily me personally. Um, the conflict was not between me and somebody else. It was between some other people in the life of our church, and it was a significant, significant conflict. By the nature of my role, I was caught up, swept up into the conflict, if you like. And it had gotten to the point, it had gotten so bad, that we needed some help. And so we had some people from PeaceWise actually come in to help take us on a process to equip us with some of these biblical principles so that we could work through or start working through or turn the conflict resolution around in a healthier direction. I remember as part of it, this is what they said. You need to start with you. And there was this list of reflection questions that they gave us to go away and to spend time genuinely with the Lord about. To reflect on our own attitudes, our own behaviours, what we'd contributed, how we'd contributed to the current conflict. I remember this being the first time I'd ever been involved in something this significant, this level of mediation, this level of directedness, um, going away and genuinely engaging in that. Spending time with God, praying about it, really examining my own heart and actually recognising that there was a person that, oh man, I really, really, really was not seeing through Christ's eyes. And in that process, I have to say, there was an incredible freedom and godliness that came through my ability to actually repent and to name those ungodly desires and perspectives that I was harboring in my heart. You name them all, they were there. Bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, assuming the worst of the person, wondering if they were even a Christian, if they could behave that way. It was powerful, and if I'm honest, it was scary too. There's something safe about hiding behind anger and bitterness and assuming the other person's the enemy. But there's something beautiful about the way that Jesus does life that we're called into when we humbly lay down our rights to serve and to bless and to be present with what God is at work doing and what he's speaking in our lives. Does that make sense? I think this is one of the harder parts of conflict resolution actually drawing a circle around ourselves and going, how am I contributing to this conflict? And then really holding up a mirror to our hearts and saying, am I harboring unchrist-like thoughts, attitudes and feelings towards this other person? 
I asked a question in that survey as well. Describe what damage you have seen come from conflict handled poorly. I don't even know if I want to read through this list, but I'm going to. These are your words of the damage that you've seen firsthand that conflict handled poorly has wreaked. I've seen the need for mediation. I've seen friendships break down. I've seen people leaving church. I've seen hurt and stress and insecurity come from conflict. Relationship breakdown. I've seen people leave the church and sometimes walk away from God. I've seen fractured relationships, detrimental impact on mental health, and collateral damage to mutual friends and family. I've seen friendships ended, businesses ended, people leaving church. I've seen families destroyed. I've seen ministries destroyed. I've seen church withdrawal, loss of relationships, hurt, anger, brokenness, arguing, fighting, abuse, loss of confidence, uncertainty about future conflicts. I've seen trust be fragmented, relationships be destroyed, situations escalated and unnecessary hurt caused. I've seen people leave churches. I've seen lifelong family estrangement and resentment. Again, people leaving a church and sometimes not going anywhere else. I've seen relationship breakdown, relationships ended, permanent estrangement, lost faith, gossip, depression, more damage being caused by not dealing with the conflict, hurt, broken relationships, escalating conflict, bad witness. cost of conflict handled poorly. I think we can do better. I think we are better. First, we go to God, then we do the hard work of looking at ourselves, and then we commit to pursuing genuine forgiveness and reconciliation with others. There's a whole lot to say about that uh, as, as well, but I will just make a broad comment here that the scriptures are very clear on our attitude towards others and working through conflict. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Do not let bitter roots grow up to cause trouble and defile many. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Of course, we recognize that not all conflict will have resolution and we don't have uh, control over how other people will respond or will engage in a process of conflict uh, resolution as they work through that. But the Bible is very clear. Well, you start with you. You be committed to pursuing forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. As far as it depends on you, you can't judge others, but as far as it depends on you, you pursue uh, that. And I think that's uh, such a beautiful way. There's so many ways we can do that uh, in our lives, and there's so many ways that we can undermine that uh, in our lives. So there are a whole bunch of Christ-like qualities I think are really important as we work through conflict, as we actually get to that point where we meet with someone, where we talk through it, where we start journeying through it. There's the fruits of the Spirit. There's the chapter on love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. There's a bunch of stuff that are unhelpful, right? 
We don't want to be giving half-truths. We don't want to be triangulating. We don't want to be slanderous. We don't want to be using hurtful words or harsh words. We don't want to be doing character assassination or assuming the worst. We want to go in genuinely empathetic, listening, loving, truth-telling, but very much with a heart for forgiveness and reconciliation. Well, I think my time is nearly up, so does that make sense? Good. Um, I feel like we're doing some really big topics at the moment in, in this term, um, and I feel like each week is barely an introduction on the topic. So there's a whole lot we could say about this part of the journey, but I think if you've started by going to God and genuinely spending time in prayer uh, for yourself, in prayer for the other person, in prayer for the conflict and in prayer what to do, and you've spent time self-examining, that you are... 80% of the way there, and you'll work out how to actually journey the other 20% with the person really well. I do, and I think it is important to end with a little bit of a disclaimer, that I'm talking about regular, everyday conflict here when it comes to different people. Uh, there are a whole bunch of examples of interpersonal conflict uh, where the normal conflict resolution approach, if you like, probably needs a little bit of rethinking. And so I just want to add this at the end, that there are those certainly things. If there is a very clear power imbalance, uh, maybe following Matthew 18 principles of going to the person one-on-one -on -one as your first point of call might not be appropriate. And I certainly want to encourage and make you aware that if you ever have any problems with the pastors in this church, you're welcome to go to the Safe Churches team or to our elders instead of coming to us one-to-one. -one. We welcome the one-to-one -one approach as well, but if you don't feel that is appropriate or safe, um, please know that that's a mechanism in place in the life of our church. There are, of course, other disclaimers where people are, have significant levels of um, emotional or mental health issues that mean that person is un the person you're in conflict with is just not a safe uh, person uh, to go to one-to-one, -to -one. or maybe your own uh, mental health means that you might need to think about a more collaborative approach to working through the conflict with another person. And, of course, there are a whole in a set of instances where we're not talking about somebody's difference of uh, opinion, or we're talking about levels of abuse that have caused the conflict and the hurt and the harm, and simply following Matthew 18 would not necessarily be appropriate in those instances as well. So I just want to add that very clear disclaimer at the end. We want to be wise and healthy about the way that we process our conflict with others, uh, and there are times where we will need to draw in other godly people. But for the majority of us, for the majority of the time, I think that's a very simple framework. Start by going with God. Do the hard work of self-examination. Get our hearts right and understand our contribution to the conflict. And then thirdly, go to the person and work it through very much with the heart to genuinely forgive and to restore the relationship. And I love this quote I came across this week. It is more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. And so I want to pray over any conflicted relationships you might have this morning. And I want to encourage you to tap our prayer team on the shoulder after this service and get them to pray into it with you as well without trying to gossip and triangulate. You don't need to say the specifics. Um, but I recognize that conflict can be a huge hurdle and a huge barrier in our lives. And unforgiveness can be a huge bondage in our life as well. So Jesus, we want to thank you for your example in the way that you humbled yourself and made yourself the servant of many. God, we thank you what, that we know what it is to have restored relationship with you, to be reconciled, 
to experience love and mercy and your initiating movement towards us to bring us home. God, as those who know what it is to be forgiven much and to be loved much, would you help us extend that, allow that to overflow into our own relationships? May we be a people of deep prayer and faith when it comes to working through conflict. May actually it be a distinctive, something that sets us apart from the world around us and testifies that there is a better and a more beautiful way, the way of Jesus outworking itself in our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask for your help to do that hard work of self-examination. God, would you reveal the idols and the strongholds, maybe some of the past hurts that we're projecting onto our current conflict. Give us a deep self-awareness and our understanding of our need for grace so that we can be peaceful and humble and gentle and merciful and loving in the ways that we pursue reconciled relationship with others. Give us boldness and courage and conviction where needed. And I pray this morning specifically for any conflicts um, that people have. Lord, I pray that you would work not just in their heart, but in the hearts of those that they're in conflict with. God, would you delight, I pray, to soften hearts towards each other, to see each other as made in the image of God, both loved and set apart. And by your good and perfect plan and purpose, I pray, God, that those relationships, whether it's friendships, whether it's marriages, whether it's within the workplace or within the church, would be restored and set right as a declaration of your goodness and your power to redeem and to restore all things. We just pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.